Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. And this is probably the latest I've ever recorded at Boneyard. It's been one of those days. You know, we always joke about it and say, you know, Mama said there'd be days like this. But you know what? She didn't tell me there'd be this many of them. So this morning I get up and I go to get see. Uh, I had gotten some uh, car stereo equipment for Christmas and went to go get that installed. I was rowing along 82, enjoying some Motley Crue. Feeling great about life, and car died on me. Apparently, there's some problem with the installation, so had to work through all that. They come out, they can't figure it out. Had to get the car towed. It's ridiculous. Now it's in the shop. It's one of those things you're so excited about it. Try to do something nice for yourself, and yeah, I spend so much time in my car. You know, why wouldn't I want to be comfortable and enjoy being in the car, right? So try to do some things, improve these long road trips, and. And here we are. And then, of course, it takes forever to get, uh, you know, AAA out there. And you finally get it all settled. And it's just one of those deals, man. It's just one that just drives me absolutely crazy. You know, it's like if it's not one thing, it's a dozen. But here's the deal. The way I look at it, I've got the money to get it fixed. There are a lot of people out there that are less fortunate than me that uh, if this happened to them, they'd be walking. And so I'm not in that boat, thankfully. And so we'll be grateful for what we have. An awful lot to talk about. And not all of it relates to Mississippi State today. And uh, we're going to get into some of that. It's, it's, it's incredible to think about you know, the conference in which that we compete in and all the things that happen. I mean, it's truly like a soap opera. I mean, every time you turn around, there's scandal and innuendo, and, and sometimes there's even some sex. And, you know, it's, it's always something out there. There's payoffs. There's all kind of nonsense like that. I mean, I'm, and I'm not even talking about recruiting. I'm just talking about you know, college football as a whole, but then, you know, the SEC, it just seems to me that we, you know, maybe it's because we have such a will to win and it's part of the country, but there's always something. There's always something going on. Always. There's always something bubbling up behind the scenes. We're going to talk about some of that today. And again, not a lot of it reflects on Mississippi State. I mean, we're kind of loosely connected to a couple of people and uh, but I'm not expecting any issues from Mississippi State, so don't misconstrue any of that. But, um, yeah, as bad as my day was, it was a lot worse for Jeremy Pruitt and Phil Farmer and anybody involved with the University of Tennessee. So we'll talk about some of that, and we'll look at some other things that uh, you know kind of happening around our league to kind of set the balance. We'll talk a little basketball today, and also got some recruiting news for you as well. It's it's hard to believe, you know, we're down to four spots, and um, there's not more buzz, I guess you could say. You know, about National Signing Day, and of course there's no official visits, and that's the thing we kind of live for at this point of the year. You know, in January, every weekend, you know, you have those official visits, and they change the recruiting calendar and kind of take some of that away from you, and then they have the prohibition on in-person contact uh, this year. So there's just not that buzz, you know, because right now usually we're, we're kind of getting ready for, okay, well, who's coming in this weekend? Oh, we, we found out there's this other guy, me come in, it's a potential walk-on or a plan B guy or whatever, and so – there's none of that taking place. And so I think there's a lot of fatigue, to be honest with you, about recruiting, not, not with the true recruiting. You know, we love the new names and the new offers, and it's like, hey, Steve and Paul, what kind of chance do we have here? And a lot of these people, we're just kind of getting up to speed on as well. You know, in-state kids, we know a lot of those guys pretty well, but, you know, Mississippi State's been very, very active, not just in offering 2022 players, but 2023 and even some 2024s. That tells me we're doing our homework. Right, just sitting around waiting for things to happen, and uh, a lot of people out there too have reached out and said, "Hey, you know, my nephew is getting recruited by state, or my neighbor's kids getting recruited by state, or my my son's best friend's getting recruited by state, and they're not calling them." Well, here's the deal, and there's a lot of people out there that go through this. You know, I've dealt with this, you know, twenty some odd years now. There are a lot of people that are fans of the process that don't understand the process. You know, we can't legally call 2022 recruits. We can't legally call juniors. We get one phone call in the spring. That's it. And so I'm not saying we can't talk by phone, but we can't initiate that contact. Like We can't pick up the phone and call your nephew or your neighbor or some kid that goes to church with your kids and say, hey, listen, here's what's going on. And Mike Leach can't do that. Mississippi State assistant coaches can't do that. Now, hey, can, can they respond you know, social media and that sort of stuff. And you listen to, hey, if your kid's a recruit, you know, he can pick up the phone and he can call, you know, set up a time say, hey, coach, I'd love to talk to you. When's a good time for me to call? 
and they can initiate that contact. But there are some people that say, well, I just don't understand why they're not a priority. Guys, it's January. It's January. Let me repeat that again. It's January. If we've already offered them, if we're communicating with them, if we're sending them the edits and the graphics and the mail and all that sort of stuff, you know, we're doing what we can legally do. But, no, they're not going to be blowing your phone up. And if anybody is, please send that information to me because I'll be happy to write an article about it. Please include any text messages and screenshots, any of that stuff, and any phone records because I'm, I'm a whiz with those phone records, you know. So send me those phone records. If there are college coaches that are calling your junior prospects, your neighbors, uh, kids that go to your church, whatever, if that's happening, send it to me. Send it to me. I'll be happy to address that for you. Happy to. All right, speaking of uh, being happy, Bulldog Burger Company will make you happy. They're in the happiness business. You know what I'm saying? You know, it's one of those things you think about. You know, with all that we deal with in life, there's so much you got to do. You got bills to pay. You got kids to run here and run there. You know, sometimes the best thing you can do for yourself is sit down and have a nice meal out. And that's what you're going to get at Bulldog Burger Company, part of a great family of restaurants that have served the Golden Triangle for many, many years. You go by, you have the spring rolls, you have a great restaurant-quality hamburger, you have the BLT salad, the sweet heat chicken sandwich, and you get that, that chocolate shake to go. Man, you talk about ride that ride home. You're going to ride that ride with a smile. So treat yourself to Bulldog Burger Company today. Two locations to serve you right here on University Drive in Stark Vegas and on Gloucester Street in Tupelo. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. By now, I'm sure you know... Jeremy Pruitt has been fired at the University of Tennessee. You may recall here during the 2018 coaching search, Jeremy Pruitt had a formal interview with Mississippi State. There were a lot of people that thought we should have hired Pruitt. Uh, I was never really in favor of hiring Pruitt in hindsight. You know, at the time, I was like, I was kind of okay about it because I know what a great recruiter he is, and I know that uh, he has recruited Mississippi uh, several times. You know, when he was at Alabama, he recruited the Mississippi Gulf Coast, and so Heard his name mentioned many times over the years. But I was told he didn't have a great interview with Mississippi State and really had no plan for offense or anything of that nature. He just kind of, you know, he you know, kind of showed up. Didn't get the job. And uh, some of our fans are saying, hey, you know, we should have hired him. I think now in hindsight, when, you, when once all this comes out and you kind of learn some of the things that are alleged to have happened at the University of Tennessee, I think you're going to be really happy that we didn't make that decision. I mean, let, let's... Let's take the wins and loss record away from it. You know, some of the things that are alleged to have happened at the University of Tennessee are incredibly scandalous. Incredibly scandalous. So there are some very, very serious allegations about impermissible benefits to current players. Now, they're not official allegations yet, but that's in the wind after talking to some media peers at Tennessee and other sources, you know, weeks ago we've talked about this, and I was would said I'd be surprised if Jeremy Pruitt survived this. As I was told back then, you know, this was something that was uncovered by the university kind of by chance. And somebody sat down and had a discussion, and that discussion ultimately made it to the Tennessee Compliance Department. So give Tennessee a little credit here for not just looking the other way here. They did an internal investigation. And according to the press conference today, they got a briefing on Friday and just felt at this point that there was too much evidence to ignore that the University of Tennessee is in a major, major, major pickle. They've went out and hired a law firm to help them to combat all this. And um, these are high-dollar lawyers, too. This is not you know something insignificant. And so they've made the decision, Jeremy Pruitt, two of his on-the-field assistants and uh, four off-the-field assistants and director of uh, football ops and assistant director of football ops, all told nine people lost their jobs plus Jeremy Pruitt. That is significant. That is not something you look at and say, well, you know, maybe there's a reasonable explanation. There's no talking your way out of this. When you fire the coach and you, quote, retire the AD, which is so humorous to me, it's one of those things I think about, you know, Phil Fulmer has built a career on stabbing people in the back. He has. You know, people call him Uncle Phil and that sort of stuff. You know, he snaked Johnny Majors in the back, got his job, while Johnny Majors was dealing with some very serious medical issues. And then he stabbed John Curry in the back and got his job too. 
And then Phil Fulmer goes out and hires Jeremy Pruitt. And so now the, look at the mess you're in now. So the guy you go out and hire, you, know, you had to get involved during the last football coaching search to, go to quote, rescue Tennessee. And now you've put Tennessee in a worse predicament. And I, to, to be honest with you, that's Phil Fulmer's legacy, if you ask me. Forget the NFL championship stuff. Look at how he has been uh, kind of risen to power. He, is, he has been a will to power in and of himself. He has worked exceptionally hard to look out for Phil Fulmer. So this is kind of how I see his legacy. And so here's the thing, too, I think is awfully interesting. You know, who does Tennessee hire? Well, the first name that everybody, oh, Hugh Freeze. Well, okay, so you don't fire a coach for NCAA issues and then hire a coach who has had multiple issues with NCAA, multiple. Because when Hugh Freeze was a, an off-the-field assistant coach at Ole Miss, Andre Orgeron, he got in trouble with NCAA then. I may have forgotten that. Then, of course, uh, all the things that happened, you know, under his administration there at uh, at Ole Miss, and he was cited for failure to uh, was it the the coaching responsibility? Yeah, he, he was cited in in the NCAA report. He was not implicated in any major violations, uh, even though he was mentioned in connection with uh, one Division One, pardon me, one Level One infraction involving a. Um, in-home visit with a old Miss donor who hosted the event. But you don't go, you don't run a guy off when you have the dark cloud of the NCAA hanging over your head and go hire a guy that has a, you know, multiple infractions on his watch. So, I, number one, I don't think Greg Sankey would allow Tennessee, and I say allow, maybe that's th- too strong a word. I don't think the SEC or Greg Sankey would sign off on that. And so then you look at Billy Napier, then you look at, uh, you know, the coach from Carl Charleston, what's his name, Caldwell. You know, I mean, there's some people out there that will take that job. I know Caldwell's from East Tennessee, got a lot of roots there, uh, might make sense. You know, but we'll see. You know, but here's the thing that I think uh, that maybe most Tennessee people are having a tough time coming to grips with. You know, they still think that they are the Tennessee of old. They think they're John Major's volunteers. They think they're General Nealon's volunteers. They're not. Let me put that in. Let me put this in perspective for you, if I may. Tennessee has had seven losing seasons in the last ten years. Seven. That's, that's like Ole Miss territory. They have lost fourteen in a row against their quote rival Alabama. Fourteen. They have lost 15 of 16 to the University of Florida. 9 of 11 to the University of Georgia. So that's three of your permanent opponents that you have been absolutely dominated for the last dozen or so years. You've been dominated by those teams. And those are blue blood programs. And listen, Florida hadn't exactly set the woods on fire in between Urban Meyer and Dan Mullen. But they still found a way to beat Tennessee. Tennessee has not beaten an AP top 10 team since 2006. Let that sink in for a second here. They have not won more than nine games in a season since 2007. It's not the job they think it is. And here's what they've done in recent years, okay? After Phil Fulmer left, they hired Lane Kiffin who had been fired by the Oakland Raiders, and you can go look up uh, Al Davis's YouTube rant, where he calls Lane Kiffin a pathological liar. So he's the biggest liar he's ever known. And then Lane leaves Tennessee to take the SC job. So what do they do? What's well, Tennessee, right? I mean, they're a blue blood program. Surely they went and got, you know, somebody else's coach, right? They went, they went out and, you know, hired, you know, some guy from South Carolina, Virginia Tech. No, no. They hired Derek Dooley from Louisiana Tech, who had had one winning season in Ruston. One. And they go hire that guy. And so they get rid of him. Well, what do they do on top of that? Well, they go get Cincinnati's coach. Cincinnati's coach. Another G5 program. Not to say that Butch wasn't a hot name. Well, then, so Butch didn't work out, so what do they do? Well, surely then they'll get it right, right? Now they'll go get a big-name coach. They'll go get John Gruden or, 
you know, Bill Belichick or somebody like that. No, no. They go hire Alabama's D.C. And so all these people have said, well, Tennessee's finally going to get it right. Listen, Tennessee didn't have the money to get it right anymore. Right now, Tennessee's going to prolong this process. They're going to hire the AD first and then let the AD hire a coach. So Kevin Steele, who was Tennessee Vol, signed on to be a uh, position coach there last week. Well, it, it, it appears now what this was all kind of put in place where he would be an interim coach, and I think Cole Kublik uh, had the numbers right. He's been uh, interim coach at two SEC schools in 16 days. So Tennessee's not winning. Tennessee's not going out making big hiring decisions. And now Tennessee is facing NCAA probation. And now you've got a really unsettled situation where you've got a new AD coming in. And you know you're going to lose. And I'm sure that NCAA transfer portal is about to fill up. I'm sure there will be some recruits that last for, for uh, you know, releases in the letter of intent. What do you do now? And it was interesting, too, back to the Phil Former thing. And I, Pete Thamel is the one that kind of brought this up. And I give Pete a lot of credit for breaking the story. And so they asked Phil Fulmer about that, you know, about is there anything Pruitt did? And he said, well, he recruited good. You're sitting here facing NCAA sanctions, and that, that's your saving grace? Really? Talk about being tone deaf. And so now you're going to have Tennessee, LSU, Florida, Mississippi State on probation. Ole Miss still within the repeat validator window. And so, you know, we talk about integrity and talk about doing things the right way. Uh, this, you know, this is going to be a, d- a difficult stretch here for the SEC. You're going to have several teams under Greg Sankey's watch that are going to be on probation. I, I suspect that you're going to see the SEC office really kind of clamp down on some of this nonsense. And I'm eager to see if what is advertised about the Tennessee case comes to fruition, if it's really as bad as they're saying. A lot of discussion about hotels and condos and meals and that sort of stuff for you know, the parents and players and that sort of stuff and, 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 and other things, you know. So it'll be interesting to see how widespread there is. But, you know, to hear their chancellor speak today, you know, nine people lose their jobs. And she said that there were, you know, she was amazed at the number of violations and the efforts these people took to conceal their actions and the number of people involved. It's incredible. I remember a time, and I, there was a time that I subscribed to this theory that there wouldn't be anybody fired this year. It was kind of a mulligan year. And now we've had four firings in the SEC, two of them in season. Vanderbilt and South Carolina both make their their terminations in season. Auburn, of course, fires Gus Malzahn as soon as the regular season is over. And now you've fired Jeremy Pruitt. And you recall we had the uh, the whole thing about Jeremy Pruitt and and Tennessee opting out of Liberty Bowl. You and I both know I'm sure they will try to come back later and claim that is a self-imposed deal. But they said it was for COVID-related issues. It'll be interesting if the NCAA will allow them to count that. That might be the least of their worries. We'll see. Looking around the league, LSU has now hired a D.C. not named Zach Arnett. And uh, if you are a subscriber to Gene's page, when I wrote the, uh, the Zach Arnett update on our message board, uh, you know, shortly after his interview at LSU, I, I mentioned the name Ryan Nelson as potentially the guy. And Ryan Nielsen from the New Orleans Saints is announced today as their defensive coordinator. Nielsen, of course, uh, played at SC under Coach Ed Orgeron and uh, coached alongside him for a season and then was his uh, defensive line coach at Ole Miss. And so a lot of connections there. He's been on the college level. It also just says to me, too, that, that Ed Orgeron's trying to circle the wagons a little bit. I'm sure Nielsen is a great defensive line coach. I don't know that he's ever been a defensive coordinator. And this may be what it's down to for Ed. Maybe this is who you can and can't hire. And that's what happens when when they're in battle coaches is they struggle to hire assistant coaches. You go out and get a couple guys from the Carolina Panthers or whatever, people, oh, that's a great hire. Let's get in the paper. But these guys don't know the college game. They don't know recruiting the way that Ed does. And listen, that's kind of his calling card. But it is awfully interesting to me. And now that Jeremy Pruitt's been fired, I think Ed Orgeron's on the clock. I had some LSU people last week try to tell me when all the Zach Arnett stuff was going on is, yeah, yeah, we, we, we think they've kind of got that handled. No they, no, they don't. They don't. 
they're trying to suggest that it'll be members of the athletic department, you know, associate ADs and people like that that take the fall in this deal. I think any, any member of the coaching staff that was aware of these allegations and did nothing about them should never coach in college athletics ever again, ever. Not just at OSU. I think this should be a lifetime ban. And I think that's some NCAA legislation that probably needs to be instituted. If a member of an NCAA member institution – if they are aware of sexual misconduct and they choose to cover it up, they should lose their ability to ever work for an NCAA institution ever again. After what we've seen happen at Penn State and Baylor, and other places for that matter, you know, we had some situations at Vandy under James Franklin as well. And I'm not trying to say that James Franklin had knowledge of the situation. I don't know what James knew and when he knew it. But if it can be proven that any member, whether it be a coach, a trainer, an associate AD, a quality control guy, or the cleaning lady. Anybody that is aware of young ladies or children or anybody for that matter being sexually assaulted and they look the other way, they should never, ever, 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 ever get a chance to work at an NCAA member institution. should never happen again. That, that, that should be put into the bylaws tomorrow. And that it should pass unanimously too. I'm not saying that things happen on your campus that uh, maybe aren't you know, without your purview or whatever, outside of your purview. But if you know this and you cover it up, if, if a young lady comes to you and complains to you that she was raped by a player and you choose to do nothing about it, you should never coach, ever. I, I mean, I, I don't know how more plain I can be about it, and I think most people would agree with that. I've got two girls on a college campus right now, and I can assure you, that if something like this happened to me, I would not rest. If something like this happened to my family, there is no amount of loyalty, there is no amount of season tickets, there is no amount of privilege, there is no amount of access they could give me to satisfy me until everybody involved in this was fired. Ever. There's nothing you can do. And there's no defense of it, and anybody involved in all that should be fired. And so the LSU people are saying, hey, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be uh, somebody's associate ADs. I, I don't believe that. I absolutely don't believe that. I think everybody involved with this that had knowledge of it and uh, did little or nothing to bring justice and uh, seek relief for these young ladies, I think every one of them is going to be fired, and rightfully so. Now, you could say, well, you know, Steve, uh, you know, LSU's got the American gangster down there, and we'll wait. I think that says a lot about the priorities at LSU. And I think in the end, that's one of the reasons they didn't allow them to separate these NCAA infractions cases between football and basketball, because it's not, it's not one program. It is prevalent throughout the culture there. If you've never lived in Louisiana or if you don't have people, you don't understand how impassioned people are. It's just different. I wish we felt the way about Mississippi State to do about LSU, but for the right reasons. You know, everybody up there, you know, it's kind of like uh, the cat's in the bag and the bag's in the river, and, er- and everybody's happy to throw it in the bayou. And so when all these things begin to kind of shake loose, you watch what I'm telling you. It's not going to be the NCAA stuff that gets people to LSU, and there's going to be a lot of that. There's going to be a lot of that. They're staring lack of institutional control right in the face. It's going to be the Title IX thing. The Title IX issues is going to be what really, really rocks LSU. And it's not going to be something that you can cover up. It's not going to be anything that you can just kind of sit back and say, well, you know, we, we, we thought we handled it. Listen, you think the NCAA Committee on Infractions has some teeth? And most of you kind of laugh when you hear me say that. When these Title IX lawyers get a hold of you and you find out that you didn't protect these young ladies, these females on your campus... You, you, you will wish you'd had a thousand committee on infractions hearings because that is something that's going to be stapled to every job application you fill out, every, to borrow a phrase from a few good men. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to NerdWallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. 
Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Thirds also explained the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with Smart Money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. All right, today's top 10 list, we're going classic rock all the way today. This is, some, this, this is somebody you all know, whether you, uh, whether you were born in the 60s, the 70s, the 90s, or the 2000s, you have heard this man's music. Uh, I'm excited about this list. Reached out to uh, some people close to me and said, hey, give me a top 10 list today. They gave me the Steve Miller Band. So we're going to talk Steve Miller today. No honorable mentions, but some great straight ahead rock and roll here number 10 jungle love and what used to get me about that song when i was a kid you know it's the lasers you know the open that song like oh we the lasers this is the laser song but it's jungle love it's driving me mad it's making me crazy number nine is dance 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 no not the rat song it's not a cover steve miller's original dance 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 and it's a different tune too i mean it's one of like it's a little different than anything else in the catalog. I think you're going to dig that one. Kind of a hidden gem for him. It was, it was a hit, but it didn't get played on the radio. It's number eight. It's The Steak. The Steak. It's a great track. Number seven. Love the opening on this one. Love the percussion for sure. It's The Swing Town. we got to get down to The Swing Town. Number six. At one time was my favorite song in the world. When this song came out, man, I had my radio. And you know, back in those days, it wasn't like this. you kids today don't know the struggle that we had. I mean, this is before they even sold cassette singles, right? And, and when you hear that, some of you guys are saying, "What's a cassette single?" So back in those days, you know, you could buy the full album on cassette, or you could buy like one or two songs on a cassette single. They would sell you a short-run cassette with the hit song you wanted and a B-side on the backside. <clears throat> but we didn't even have that when a song came out. What we had to do if we wanted it is we had to sit around in our rooms with our big stereos and wait for our favorite songs to come on, and then you put your tape recorder next to the speaker. And so I re- did this with this song. I recorded the song Abracadabra until at one point I could buy it on a 45. That's what we did. Old school, man. We do what we had to do, man. We love music. The sound quality wasn't great, but you know what? At least I could listen to Steve Miller whenever I wanted to. I could listen to Abracadabra because I had it on tape. Until, you, until Then all of a sudden, you know, a few weeks later, all your favorite songs change and you record over them. Sometimes you would do it accidentally. 
Number five, uh, a song that uh, the University of Alabama played during warm-ups before the Iron Bowl that led to a young man being dismissed when Cam Newton was there, and it's Take the Money and Run. You guys are familiar with that one. Absolutely a classic. And I think these top five, I think everybody would probably admit it a top five. Number four, I could have made a case at some point for this being number one, but it's Jet Airliner. I, I love the guitar on this one. I love how smooth. I love the tone. There's so many times, too, I've heard this song when I've been on the road, and it, just, it makes me want to go home. Number three, it's the Joker. You know, because some people call me Maurice, and some call me the Gangster of Love. It's, it's a great kickback song. I can't count the times I've listened to this around the fire somewhere on a boombox or or whatever as a kid kind of growing up. I mean, everybody knew this song. Everybody get out there and sing along. And it was like one of those songs, when that song came on the radio, everybody would sing to it. Everybody would, because everybody knew it. Number two, and again, I could make the case for this being number one, too. I, I love the opening riff of the song. I, I think in many ways it's probably the most recognizable Steve Miller band song, not named The Joker, but it's rocking me. Keep on rocking me. It's got a great riff. It's guitar rock. I mean, it really is. But number one for me, and probably for most of you, it's Fly Like an Eagle. Many of you know this because of the, the Seal cover for uh, you know Space Jam. But the original Fly Like an Eagle, an absolute great track. And that's back in, uh, you know, I really discovered that one back in my experimentation days, shall we say. But Fly Like an Eagle, number one for me. I hope you dig the list. I hope that you love Steve Miller. And I, I hope this is one of those ones that does well. I know a lot of you guys uh, enjoy classic rock. I hear, from, I hear from people all the time and say, you know what, Steve? I've added so many songs to my Spotify because of those lists. Some of you are discovering these songs for the first time. Some of you are being reminded of how good they are for the first time in a long time. So I'm glad that we can be of service to you. If you have an idea for the top ten list, reach out and let me know. And occasionally one of you guys will send me like a recommendation of one of your favorite bands that I don't really care for. And I don't want to disrespect you, but I'm not a Nirvana fan at all. And I'm certainly not a Green Day fan. So when you send those lists, I don't know if you're trolling me or you just want to hear me talk about them. But let me just tell you, I'm never going to do a top 10 Nirvana list. There's not 10 Nirvana songs that are worth being mentioned. There's certainly not 10 Green Day songs that are worth being mentioned. And so those bands are out. So anything else, send it to me. We'll work through it. I think one of the coolest topics we've done is uh, what's my favorite song by the 10 bands I hate the most. You know, so... That was a great topic, and uh, we've done that. And I, I appreciate you guys getting somewhat creative at times with your requests. Sometimes, sometimes I lose them. I'll be honest with you. I, I try to keep a clean desk when I can, and sometimes I'll write these things down and I'll throw the wrong piece of paper away. So if you don't get credit for your list, uh, please uh, forgive me for that. And I want to thank Gordon Griffin too. Gordon has gone back into the Boneyard archives and uh, found those top 10 lists and put them on Spotify, the ones that Roy, you know, Roy's doing them now, but Gordon went back and found those for us. And so I'll tweet those out from now and again. Cause some, and I have people that message me and say, Steve, have you ever done a top 10 list of deaths? And I just go grab it and send it to them. Here, here you go. And so I don't mind doing that when I've got time to do it. So, again, if you have an idea for top 10, reach out let me know. Find me on all forms of social media, at ScoutSteveR, and you can send it to me, and I just might use your list. And I'll do my best to keep the name so I can give you credit for it. But thank you guys so much for your support uh, of that venture. All right, Campus Bookmart, longtime sponsors of this show, man. I love Stan Ray, Miss Kathy Brown, lovely, talented Susie. They're like family to me. They'll be like family to you, too. They'll treat you like family. They're going to be happy to have you come into the store. You can go by and see what they have. they got the latest in Mississippi State fashions there. A lot of memorabilia and novelty-type items there as well. You can decorate your home outfit the RV, buy gifts for the grandbaby, whatever you want to do right there at Campus Bookmart. And if you can't make it to town, let me encourage you to visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And we'll save you a little money by being a loyal Boneyard listener. Use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson, and that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. All right, let's talk a little recruiting. So since we have been together, we have offered a lot of players, and we've offered one in 2021. So over the weekend, Coach Eric Mealy offers running back Katravian Hargrove. 
Hargrove is a four-star recruit by the 247 composite. He is a 92 in the 247 sports ranking. Ranked as the number nine running back in America and the number nine player in Louisiana. I'm not sure how that, that computes, but uh, be that as it may, this is a guy with an, an impressive offer sheet. Now, the first thing people say is, well, Steve, why is he still available? You know, I, I can't speak intelligently about that. I've only spoke to the young man once. He has an incredible offer sheet. Over 20 offers at this point, many of them from the Power Five. A lot of people expected him to go to Florida State. He did not. But he does hold offers from Penn State, South Carolina, Louisiana Tech, Baylor, Boston College, Florida State, Houston, Louisiana, Memphis, Michigan State, Oklahoma State, SMU, Southern University, Texas State, Tulane, and many, many more. A lot of people thought he might end up staying home this year. I spoke to him. He tells me Mississippi State's far and away his favorite. And so the first thing that people do when these things happen is they look at it and say, okay, all right, well, what's, well, what's wrong, Steve? What do we don't know? Well, here's, I'll tell you. Here's the deal. So early in the year, he had a little bit of a knee injury. And I'm told it's not serious at all. And there were a lot of people that were kind of like wait and see with him. It's like, you know what, if we're going to sign a running back in December, it's got to be a guy we're 100% sure about. And so he had the knee injury. I'm told that he is expected to make a full recovery and will be 100% next fall. The good thing is we don't need him to be 100% next fall. We'd love for him to be. I think this is really a case of Mississippi State taking the best available. That's one of the things we talked about on the show before, too. You know, we've talked so much about we needed to go get some defensive backs, and we do. But when you think about what we have coming back and what we're getting healthy, you know, if you can't go get a guy that can play, you don't want to just go sign a warm body. And so maybe you use that spot on the best available. There was talk about possibly taking a rush end. Uh, you know, we, I still think that we'll take a DB, probably two DBs, one from the high school ranks, uh, one from the portal. And then, I, you know, again, you take a best available. And that's what I think Hargrove fits. I like the guy. I think he's a very talented runner. I think we, we motion him out a little bit. We can line him up in the slot. But he's a guy that's, you know, can really run between your tackles. And uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, Steve, you know, why do we need another running back? I don't think we necessarily do. I think this is one of those situations, again, where when you begin to look at your board and say, okay, do I want to go get a DB? It's probably going to be a second or third teamer. Or I can go get a four-star running back. And we're absolutely loaded on offense. Absolutely loaded. And I think you, know, you go add him to the mix there. You could make a case this is arguably the best recruiting class offensively that we may have had in 20, 30 years. You look up and down the, the, the list and you say, you know, listen, this guy was from here and this guy's got these offers. Most of these guys are very highly, highly coveted guys. There are not a lot of developmental guys in the group. I think you can feel good about that. And then all of a sudden you add a four-star running back with a 92 rating onto it. Not only does it help you in the rankings for whatever that's worth, what if the guy comes back and he's 100%, you know, two years from now, and let's say Jaquavius Martz uh, is going pro? You know, because while this year doesn't count towards your eligibility, it does count on their NFL clock. So three years removed from high school, let's say he goes. Now, I'll be honest with you, when the, when the topic was first broached to me, I thought, you know, I don't know if we're needing the running back and with a couple of SEC backs in the state of Mississippi for 2022 – Maybe that need's not quite so emergent. And so I still don't know if taking another running back is the right move, but I also can understand the thought process behind it. And if you're going to go get another running back, you got to go get a guy like this. you got to go get a guy that's potentially a difference maker for you. And so I think that's probably how this thing is shaken out, is that you've got a situation here where a great player is available that has genuine interest in your school from a border state that wants to play in a major conference but stay somewhat closer to home. I think that's a real factor in all of this. He is scheduled to make his decision on the 27th, uh, and there's nothing significant about that to him. I asked him, well, when do you plan to make your decision? Uh, and he already has the commitment graphic, just so you guys know, and I'll let you guys keep up that on social media. He already has that, so he can tweet it out whenever he wants to. But he mentioned he might do it on the 27th, and I said, is there a special day? Is it your birthday? And he said, he turned to his friend and he said, hey, when's your birthday? So said, January 27th. I'm going to do it on January 27th. I mean, that, that's how much thought he put into it. You know, it's not, it's not something where his whole life he's been thinking, okay, on my mom's birthday, I'm going to do this. 
So that's kind of where things stand. So we should be able to get him in the boat here in the next 10 days, if not before then. Ty Cooper, this is how we see this thing shaking out. You take Hargrove, you take Ty Cooper. Uh, a lot of people keep wondering. I have some people in the, in the media that keep saying, hey, do you think Ole Miss is going to come back late and do this and do that? Yeah, based on what I'm hearing, Ole Miss is not even really in contact with them anymore. I mean, I'm sure they're doing you know their the random stuff that you know that everybody does. You know, you have your your student workers mail out the stuff, but I'm I'm told there has been no significant discussions with Ty Cooper since Deke Adams left. They have pretty much moved on from him, and so some of you will hear that. You know, the self-loathing part of our fan base will hear that and say we're only getting him because Ole Miss didn't want him. Hey guys, it doesn't matter why we're getting him as long as we get him. I, I, I've been a Ty Cooper fan from the beginning. I thought State should have offered him back in March. And chances are if we had, maybe we'd already have him. But the bottom line is is that we've got a guy that's uh, 30 minutes from our campus that is a bona fide SEC rush end, and and uh, he's going to be here. And, uh, you know, that's the bottom line. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that's talked about committing several times. I'm told the decision's been made. It's just waiting for the announcement. We've talked about that on the show before, too. And so let's say you get Hargrove, and let's say you get Ty Cooper. Well, those are a couple of guys that push you into the top 30. All right, they're at the top 30. We're going to have a chance to make a push. And it's going to, we're going to need some things to go right. We're going to have a chance to push into the top 30 and maybe, maybe have an outside shot at top 25 if things go right. But, you know, those transfers don't really help as much uh, in the rankings. But I think it's interesting to note that uh, we always talk about, you know, we didn't close well in December. And there's no getting around that. That's the truth. That's the facts. We did not close well in December. Now, we added some great names. We also lost some great names, which has kind of kind of got us chasing some guys in the portal here late because we didn't close well. But it is shaping up right now to be a good close for Mississippi State. you got four spots to fill. you got a chance to really fill those with four quality players. You get Hargrove, you get Ty Cooper, and let's say you get C.J. Johnson. I feel good about C.J. I don't feel great. And one of the reasons that I don't is because, uh, you know, he is such an incredible student, and uh, he is thinking on the academic side as well as the athletic side. I think if it was strictly down to a football point of view, his decision's already made. He's been coming to Mississippi State games since he was seven years old. Uh, he knows the Bulldogs. His favorite Bulldog player was Chris Ralph. He wore 14 playing youth football. So, you know, Mississippi State is in his heart. But this is a guy, too, that's thinking about, you know what, I might go to medical school. I might go into business. And so he went to Northwestern, liked it. Northwestern's a real, a real threat. They are. He's potentially talked about going out to TCU, going out to Penn State. And so a lot of people would say, you know what, it ought to be a slam dunk, it ought to be a bulldog. And you know what, I get that line of thinking. But he's thinking beyond football. And so because of the fact that his decision is very much a twofold decision, I can't say it's a slam dunk. You know, if this has just been, you know, the rank and file average kid from French Camp Academy that grew up coming to Mississippi State games, I'd say, oh, yeah, that guy's clearly a bulldog. But now that I've talked to CJ and kind of got an idea of kind of where his head is, I mean, it's not a slam dunk. It's not. I feel Again, I feel good, not great. Good, not great. We'll see how things progress. And I've got my crystal ball pick in for him because I think ultimately it's what he'll do. But I don't think that a decision's been made, and I think that um, you know, if it had been, he wouldn't be out wasting his parents' money traveling around to go see these schools here in January. I think he's still working through the process because this all really just kind of took off for him you know, in late November. You know, he, he, when he committed to the Naval Academy, he meant it. He did. He never thought he'd be in a situation where he'd have, you know, ten Power Five offers here in the in the you know the home stretch of the recruiting process. But if I had to call it today, I think Mississippi State gets him. But again, I can't say I would probably put that somewhere on a scale of one to ten, probably six and a half, seven maybe. You know, it doesn't matter what the what the rankings look like as long as you get him. But uh, I think he's one of those guys too that. It's much more complicated. You know, like when Jay Hampton from Amory got the offer from Mississippi State, it was a no-brainer for him. And he had some other offers. He did. But this is a kid that grew up just down the road coming to Mississippi State games. He's got a cousin on the team. It made perfect sense for him. It's like, oh, Mississippi State wants me? Done deal. I'm gone. It was easy for him. I don't think it's quite so easy for CJ. I, I just think that he is so locked into the long play that he's going to take his time and be real deliberate in his actions. So, again, 
If I had to call today, I think he's a bulldog. I can't swear that he's a bulldog. I, I feel like Ty Cooper's a lock at this point. I don't feel that way about CJ. So then there's Eddie Smith, and we've talked about Eddie a few times. I am sure he has had a tremendous experience at Alabama. Most of that experience has been on the sidelines. He's played some. He has. But he has not been a, uh, a major contributor there. Had he come to Mississippi State, probably would have been. Probably would have played a lot more. Probably played a lot this year. He also has uh, a close relationship with Mississippi State linebacker Aaron Brule. That's helpful. That is, that's helpful. You know, and we talk about these personal connections, and, and a lot of times they don't work out for us. It works out a little more when we're talking about transfers, you know, because those guys are, are basically making a business decision. And what I mean by that is, is you know, that they got to go somewhere they can play. And so when you've got a guy on the inside, they can kind of tell you the truth. Okay, hey, this guy isn't any good. You're better than this kid. Uh, this is a guy you're probably going to have to work look out for. I think those relationships mean a little more. It's one thing when it's your brother or something like that, but when you got you got one of your boys up there and says, hey, you, hey you're going to have a chance to come in here day one and be a two-deeper, you're going to accept that more you know, from a guy you've known for several years than maybe you would a coach. You know, a lot of coaches out there have recruit speak. You know, they, they sit there and tell kids what they want to hear to get them to sign. But your buddies aren't going to do that. Your buddies are going to want you to come play, but they're going to tell you the truth. And so I think that's helpful. I know that Eddie Smith is interested in Mississippi State. I know that Mississippi State is interested in Eddie Smith. And uh, his situation is a little different because he is going to finish up a semester at the University of Alabama and then transfer after May. Uh, January 19th, the last day to add a class at Mississippi State. But I'm told that uh, he is going to finish up at Alabama in May and then make the move to his new program in June. I guess that could change. I'm not expecting it to. But I like what I'm hearing about State and Eddie Smith. I can't say it's a done deal yet, uh, but I'll be honest with you. I might actually feel better about Eddie than I do about CJ right now. And and maybe it's because the information I got on Eddie is a little fresher. But I think if I had to call it today, I would say the names to watch, Katravian Hargrove, I think that's probably 8.5 or 9 out of 10. Ty Cooper, I think that's a 10 of 10. CJ Johnson, probably 6.5 to 7. I think Eddie Smith's probably seven and a half to eight. And I think there's a good chance those are your, your last four Bulldogs. Now, C.J. Johnson likes to go to Northwestern. We're going to have to learn to pivot. We're going to have to go get somebody there. Going to have to. But I, I like the options we have, but I wish we had a few more. You know what I'm saying? And there probably are some that, that aren't public. There are probably some that, uh, you know, a lot of these guys, especially these guys that are in the transfer portal, they don't, really, they don't do a lot of interviews. They don't tweet out a lot of offers. You know what I'm saying? They've already been through that process. They've already had their look-at-me moments. And so now, again, it's, it's more of a mature decision. It's more of a business decision. You know, i got to go somewhere where I can get on a field and put some things on tape and maybe go play in the NFL someday. But also, too, I've got to find a school that's going to help me get my college degree. And so it's not about the bright lights and the big city and the official visits and, you know, the steak dan- dinners and dancing with pretty girls and that sort of stuff. It's a lot different the second go around. You know, K.J. Costello did one interview after he signed with Mississippi State. One. That's it. And I was fortunate enough to get it. And I had to work hard to get it. I had to work through his trainer to get the kid to call me. But that's it. And there's, I mean, there's so many of these players that, uh, you know, again, once they've been – like Tommy Stevens, I think he did one interview after he signed with Mississippi State, and that's with Paul Jones. And so it's, it's different. Those guys don't, don't crave the attention. They're not looking for the heat. They, don't, they know they're not trying to get star rankings anymore. They're just trying to find the right spot. And so that's something to kind of monitor as we kind of move forward too. And so there may be a guy that pops up, you know, here in the last couple of weeks of January – that uh, kind of out of nowhere and say, hey, here we go, you know, because, again, a lot of these guys in the portal, by the time they get in the portal, they already have a good idea of where they're going to go. And you can say, well, Steve, how's that possible when they can't have contact with anybody until they get in the portal? That's true. But there are so many high school coaches and trainers and people like that that are advocates for these guys that are more than happy to go make a phone call and says, hey, listen, so-and-so is thinking about going in the portal. If he does, would you guys be interested? Well, yeah, of course we would. Okay, well, then they go in the portal and then they begin to talk and say, hey, I heard you guys were interested. Let's make something happen. And so 
there are very few guys that go in the portal at this late juncture, don't have an idea of what they're going to do. But now that, you know, drop bad dates and all that stuff are here, some rats are going to slow down just a little bit. But just be mindful of that as you kind of move forward. Speaking of moving, you need to give our friends at Portico an opportunity to serve you. Simple as that. Portico, a great place, new residential community here in Starkville. Portico is one of Starville's newest housing developments, located just off Garrett Road behind the Hilton Garden Inn and the Chrysler Jeep dealership, just over a mile from campus. You can't beat that. Easy access to both Highway 82 and 25. There'll be 51 houses total in development, with 18 in the first phase, and those are already nearing move-in condition. There'll be 33 houses in the second phase, and that's going to be completed this year. Houses will range in size from 1,300 to 2,000 square feet, and two-bedroom, two-bath, up to four-bedroom, four-bath. You can get more information about Portico, its luxurious walking trail, and the pavilion area by calling our friend, Brooks Bryan, at 601-416-8075. Let me give you that number again. 601-416-8075. You get more information there. If you're looking to move to Starville or even relocate in the greater Starkville area, give Portico an opportunity. See what they have available to you. And if nothing else, it gives you a chance to reconnect with a diamond dog legend, Brooks Bryan. I don't know if I've ever told you guys, but he robbed a home run against the University of Washington to send us to Omaha. He'll be happy to tell you about that and so many other things. Give Brooks a call today. All right, let's talk a little bit of basketball. I put it on the back burner of the show because I know many of you are disenfranchised. And listen, I get upset too in game. I I really do. And uh, once the emotion subsides a little bit, I, I try to look at the bigger picture. But I will tell you, I'm happy with that Florida win that we got over the weekend. Uh, I told you guys I was worried about the game. I also told you usually we play pretty well against the University of Florida. And so, you know, I, I'm, I always said that Buzz Williams has had the, uh, Ben Howen's number. Well, Ben Howen's kind of had Mike White's number too. And we've actually played really well against Florida, and I won three in a row against the University of Florida. So we win that game. And uh, 72-69, a couple things I want to say about it. I'm not going to break down the ball game or anything like that. We've got to do better at closing out games. And, and listen, it doesn't take Dick Vitale to say that, right? I mean, it's pretty obvious to anybody that's watched. But, and that's guard play. Closing out ball games is about guard play. And we've got some young guys that are you know, really starting significant minutes for the first time. I don't know if we've got some fatigue because we're playing these guys 35, 36, 37 minutes a game. But late in the ball game, you got to make free throws. Now, you always need it, right? I mean, if we weren't such a bad free throw shooting team, what are we – 13th in the SEC in free throw percentage. And, and, and that's coaching. Okay, it is. But late in ball games, you got to make your free throws and you got to be able to handle the press. And we have really struggled with that, now, especially against that 1-3-1. Now, you want to see somebody come out and run a 1-3-1 against you? Wait and see what Kermit Davis does tomorrow night against Mississippi State. Kermit may come out and run the 1-3-1 the whole game. Every time that we have had a little separation against them, they have run the 1-3-1 and gotten right back in the ballgame. And it didn't matter if we had Quindary Waterspoon handling the basketball or, or uh, Lamar Peters handling the basketball. We have struggled against that 1-3-1. So this is not something that is just simply specific to 2021. We have really struggled breaking that 1-3-1 press. I thought we, we did some things a little bit better against Florida than we did against A&M, so maybe we're learning a little bit. But we will see a lot of that from Ole Miss uh, tomorrow night. And, I, I listen, I'm excited about the game. It's it, You know, anytime State and Ole Miss get together and it doesn't matter what sport we're playing in, I get excited about it. I want to win that game. I want to win that game. I want to be able to have some excitement. I want to be able to talk a little trash like all of you. And, you know, listen, when they hired Kermit, a lot, of, a lot of our people really upset because, you know what, Kermit should have been our guy. You know, and, uh, you know, Kermit played here. His dad's done some incredible things for Mississippi State over the years. But Kermit's not our guy. You know, temporarily, Kermit's not our dude. Temporarily, we got to root against Kermit, one of our own, because he's coaching at Ole Miss. And once he's left there, he can come on back home and walk him with open arms. You know, he, might, he might stink a little bit, but, you know, we'll take him back. But that ball game tomorrow night is going to be an important one. Ole Miss has really struggled here as of late. I don't know if you've kept up. You know, I, I'll be honest with you. I haven't kept up a lot with their basketball because, I, you know, there are times I've been so up and down with ours. But in conference play, for, first of all, they're 6-6 six and six overall. Uh, they lose at Alabama 82-64. 
Then they lose in Oxford to Wichita State. They find a way to beat Auburn, and Auburn's decent, okay? The South Carolina game gets postponed. They get beat in Oxford by 14 by LSU. They lose to Florida in Gainesville, 72-63, and then they lose at home to Georgia, 78-74. And listen, I don't know how good Georgia is. You know, we went down there and beat them. They're, they're a good team. I don't know if they're an elite team. And so now they're going to come in here, uh, you know, with the one conference win. You know, and I, I'm early in the year. They were all excited, you know, that they go beat Jackson State and they beat UNC Wilmington and, and UCA, and everybody's thinking, okay, great. They got off to that 4 0 start, and everybody thought, man, they're going to be great. They lose to Dayton, same team that beat Mississippi State. They blow out UT Martin, and everybody's thinking, oh, Kermit's going to come in here and kill us. They have really struggled in league play. So we're going to get their best shot, not just because it's on Miss Mississippi State, but it's an opportunity for them to kind of turn their season around. Because I don't know if you guys have noticed a lot of parity in the league this year. Lots of parity in the league. After Mississippi State hosts Ole Miss, then they'll get A&M at home, and then they go to Arkansas and then to Georgia. And then they could really get into the, you know, a little bit of the meat grinder towards the end of the schedule. You get Tennessee, Mizzou, some of those teams. And so uh, they've got to make hay here in the middle part of the league schedule. And so you and I both know Kermit will bring his best effort tomorrow night. They will absolutely have the best game plan possible. He will hold those guys accountable. He will really push them to get a win. There will be a sense of urgency in everything Ole Miss does tomorrow night. I think Mississippi State has kind of found a sense of themselves. You know, again, we've got to find a way to close out games and got to find a way to make some free throws. And I think that's where the difference in the games is going to lie. If we make free throws and we can handle the press, we're going to win the game going away. I think we're that much better than them. I think we're overperforming a little bit. They're certainly underperforming. But to be fair, isn't that truly the case with every Ole Miss team in every sport? Aren't they always underperforming? Because there's always these preseason expectations, and everybody thought this is going to be the year we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And it's never, ever, 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 ever what they want it to be. It never is. It's never what they suggested it will be. And then all of a sudden, well, you know, we got this. You know, listen, Mississippi State's playing better basketball right now than Ole Miss. And we hadn't been playing great. We played pretty well at times. We haven't been playing great. Maybe tomorrow night we put it together. I think this Tulu Smith and Abdul do down low, when we can force teams to play in the half court with us, that's a problem for them. Most teams can't match up with us because we're playing a true power forward. And so if you're content to shoot from outside, you better hope that you're hitting. Because if you're not, you're not getting a rebound. So I'm optimistic about the game. I think we're going to go win the ball game. I, I really do. I think we're going to win. But I expect it to be an intense ball game from start to finish. And we got to stay out of foul trouble. Got to stay out of foul trouble. Uh, listen, and I know all of you are upset about the women. I, I am too. I'm not going to sit here and defend that effort on uh, Sunday. I, I was embarrassed by the effort. And I don't, I don't say that about a Mississippi State team very often. I was embarrassed by our effort Sunday outside of Maya Taylor. I thought, to be honest with you, I thought we looked a little bit entitled. I thought we looked a little bit spoiled. And in the end, we looked a whole lot whipped. I can't sit here and speak intelligently about what's going on in the locker room in the Mississippi State women's basketball program. I can't. I also know this. I know that Nikki McRae, Pinson, had to get to know her team over Zoom and had to recruit everybody back. And so now all of a sudden we have to shift from being, you know, recruit, because you recall a lot of people are thinking over oh, kid Jackson's going to transfer, uh, got to recruit Madison Hayes into not asking for out of her letter of intent. And so you probably had to put the gentler, softer, nicer Nikki McRae-Penson out there just to kind of keep the roster together. Well, now all of a sudden that we're in season, that, that person no longer exists, right? You know what I'm saying? It's like you got to wear multiple hats. Well, now all of a sudden, you know, listen, we're not playing well, so I got to, I got to put you on the bench. I got to send a message, and then we pout. Well, I thought you were my friend. No, I'm not your friend. I'm your coach. And so I think there are some growing pains that are kind of going along with that. I've heard some things, you know, about you know certain players that are kind of struggling to kind of acclimate. And so, listen, you know, I'll be honest with you. This one-time NCAA transfer rule might really hurt Mississippi State women's basketball. It might. 
And I know many of you are thinking, oh, we, we went from being a national contender to being a middle-of-the-road program. Uh, I still have confidence that Nikki McCray-Penson can turn this thing around. Nikki McCray-Penson is not new to the SEC. She is not new to winning basketball. She's new to Mississippi State. She's new to many of us. And, again, you know, I don't think she gets the same grace that Vic Schaefer got in, for, in year one because of the talent that she inherited. Now, she didn't recruit all those players. And, and you know what? There may have been some players that she may have passed on in favor of somebody else because perhaps they fit her scheme better. But here's the deal. It doesn't matter why things are happening. It doesn't matter what things are happening. The bottom line is you got to win. That You're hired to win. And people can say, well, you know, you know, you know, we're running a clean program. We're graduating our players. You know what? You can go get some everybody from the YMCA and do that. But you don't do that because you want to win. You want to win. And I really thought that, um, you know, that, that 69-41 blowout, let's call it what it is, uh, in College Station was an embarrassing loss for Mississippi State women's basketball. And if those ladies have any pride in themselves and pride in that jersey, they will respond. Now, it's going to be a while before they get to. They're off until January 28th. So no women's basketball games this week, and I think it comes at a good time. There's talk about, oh, well, they had the players-only meeting. Let me, tell you, let me be honest with you. These players-only meeting, if you're having a bunch of those, the season isn't going really well. I, I don't want to hear about a players-only meeting. I don't care about that. You know, every time there's, you know, we hit a, a, a rough stretch, well, we just wanted to get together as a team. You know, listen, that's all cute. You ought to be doing that anyway. You ought to be getting together as players. And, and that's, listen, sometimes it works. You know, I remember after we went up there and lost to Kentucky a couple of years ago and John Abram got up before our football team in the post post game and calmed everybody down and fired everybody up. But I'll be honest with you, I don't think there's a Jonathan Abram on this team. I don't think there's anybody on that team whose voice commands the room like Jonathan Abram or Gary Green. And, and I, we, that, you talk about who we missed the last couple of years, a guy like Gary Green. Gary Green was a real leader on this team. I don't know that he got enough credit for the things that he did at Mississippi State. Gary couldn't find a natural position for a long time, but when Gary spoke, the young guys paid attention. And you've got a lot of new players at Mississippi State that are kind of being thrust in leadership roles for the first time. There's no Morgan William on this team. There's no Dominic Dillingham. That's one of the things, too, that really aggravates me. You know, what? I think what made all of us so fired up about Mississippi State women's basketball is how tough those ladies were. Dominique Dillingham was my favorite player. Not because she could score a whole lot, not because she was a great ball handler, but because she did all the grunt work. She would put her foot in the ground and let somebody run her over to cause a turnover and draw a foul on an opponent. She was tough. Morgan William, you know, five foot nothing, but she was tough as she could be. You couldn't rattle her. Mentally, she was so tough. Physically, she's pretty tough, too. But we were tough. Tierra McCowan, tough. Chinua Corey, tough. Blair Schaefer, tough. We were tough. We are not a tough basketball team. We're not. And Nikki McRae was a very tough basketball player. Nikki McRae Pinson is a coach at South Carolina. Understand, she's coached under a very tough player who was a is a very tough coach. So she knows toughness when she sees it. But we've got to instill it in some of our players. Even Jessica Carter, as big as she is, doesn't play with a lot of toughness. Sometimes she kind of finesses herself around the rim. I don't think we could ever accuse Tierra McCowan of finessing anything unless it was just kind of waxing her eyebrows back on TV or her video bombs or whatever. Now, granted, Tierra McCowan, a lot more talented player. And there's not many players with her size and skill that come along very often. That's why she was a first-round draft pick by the WNBA. She's a phenom. But toughness starts in your heart, and toughness starts in your head. Dominique Dillingham barely had any offers. And then she comes to Mississippi State and becomes one of the most beloved players in our history. Not because she was a prolific scorer, because she was tough, because she would do the things other players wouldn't do. So while she was somewhat limited talent-wise, she made up for that with hustle. She made up for it with defense. And here's the thing, and, and, I, and I can share this. If you ever, if, if I could sit down and talk with every incoming coach, if I was ever involved in this hiring process, this is the first thing that I would tell them. 
You know, Coach, thanks for your interest in Mississippi State, but here's what I want to make sure you understand. As a person that has grown up a lifelong Bulldog fan, I think that I can speak with some real authority about what we're willing to accept. You know what? We expect to compete and win for championships. We expect to win and compete for championships. And you know what? Most years we're not going to do that, and we're willing to accept that. You know, Coach, we expect to win, have winning seasons. But we know that's not always going to be possible. We know some years there's going to be rebuilds, sometimes we're going to have injuries. We're willing to accept that as an exception every once in a while, but the expectation is that we're going to win basketball games, we're going to win baseball games, we're going to win football games, and we expect you to put a winning product on the field and court every single year. But we're realistic. Winning hasn't always been a part of our culture. As much as we wanted it to be, it's been elusive at times. So we're willing to accept a rebuild a year every once in a while. But here's the thing. One of the things that we're not going to accept in any year, in any ball game, from any player or any staff member involved in our organization, we're not going to accept the lack of effort. We're not going to accept that. We're not going to accept a sense of entitlement. We're not going to do that. You know, we are a blue-collar, salt-of-the-earth, hardworking people. You know what? We understand losing is part of competition. But not competing is not in our DNA. Toughness is in our DNA. We are a tough people. We will put up with a lot. And we respect effort. And we respect people that get out there and say, you know what? I might not be the most talented. I might not be able to play the best. But I can play the hardest. That's what we're not willing to accept. We're not going to accept anything less than your best effort. And that's how we feel. Win, lose, or draw. We want to respect your effort. We want you, when you put that Mississippi State jersey on, no matter who you play against, if you lined up against Satan and a band of demons themselves, we expect you to go out there and take the fight to them, even if you get destroyed. But go out there and you show respect for that jersey and you give your best effort, no matter what's happening next week, no matter what's happening tomorrow, no matter what happened yesterday. When you put on that maroon and white, you better go out there and play with effort every single night. Until then, let's move on. Because I can get fired up. You guys say you like Salty Steve, and I'm a little salty now right now about the direction of women's basketball. But I'm also optimistic that we can get this thing turned around. Because, again, Nikki McCray-Pinson has a great basketball pedigree. She's not a loser. She's not. And I can assure you that none of this is bothering anybody worse than her. And so I'm optimistic she'll turn this thing around. And, uh, you know, sometimes as a coach you got to send a message. Sometimes you got to sit somebody on the bench to get everybody else's attention. And now you got 11 days to figure this thing out, right? you got 11 days before South Carolina comes to town. Do I expect them to win that game? No, I do not. I expect them to go out there and then drive Dawn Staley and South Carolina crazy, win or lose. You go out there, you out-tough them, you fight for every loose ball, you dive in the stands, you do whatever you got to do. But you got to restore some dignity into your effort. That's going to do it for today. Thanks so much for your time, your effort, your support, and your patience with me when days like today happen. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.